0: Realize and have a revelation of the riches of the glory of your inheritance and the exceeding greatness of your power. So, we ask you today to fill each one with the knowledge of your will, with that wisdom, with that spiritual understanding, that each and every one might be equipped to walk in the full value of that which you purchased for us by your own precious blood. I ask you to put me on like a glove that I might speak as of the oracles of God. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us today, that we might be further equipped the adjustments might be made, that we might walk accurately with great joy in this newness of life that's been provided for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We do thank you for everything that will be accomplished in every heart and every life by your word and your spirit this morning. In Jesus' mighty matchless and majestic name we pray, and everyone who greets said amen. amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Man, it's a great day to be alive, to be serving God, to be with you all. Uh, today, the body of Christ, very significant in the day that we live in, the time that we live in. God's doing something, and whatever he wants to do, he's going to do in and through his body, his church. Amen? Why don't you look at somebody next to say, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And then you can be seated. Praise the Lord. Once again, welcome. It's very good to see you. If anybody's visiting with us today, we're so glad that you are here visiting with us. We pray for you. We pray that something today, whether just fellowshipping with other believers, uh, the message, the worship, something stirs your heart. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that today you're further equipped, you're encouraged, you're edified, you're built up. Some may need correction, but uh, in whatever way you're further equipped, Uh, to do what God's called you to do. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, our prayer is that somewhere along the line, you'll see and know that he is exactly who the Bible says that he is, that he died for your sin, and that uh, he did that so you could be forgiven and live in a relationship with God that's far above and beyond what you could ever hope, dream, ask, or think. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Romans, the 14th chapter. Romans the 14th chapter, we're in the uh, middle uh, of a series that we began a couple of weeks ago, which is entitled, Righteousness, Peace, and Joy in the Holy Ghost, which is significant because uh, uh, prior to this, as we'll just see here as we read the scripture, it says, the kingdom of God are or is righteousness, peace, and joy. So these three things have to do with the kingdom of God, and so we're endeavoring to break that down based on the times that we live in, things that have been uh, conveyed to us, prophecy that's gone forth about the time that we live in, and then just the understanding of how much, uh, and, and in a lack of knowledge, many times that we are dictated to by life rather than reigning in life. Anybody ever felt like they were dictated to by life, by the culture, by decisions, that somebody else makes. And so there's something on the inside of us that we hope to unveil that really captures us. It's down deep in our consciousness that causes us to be dictated to by life or governed by things and a consciousness that exists there because of Adam's sin. And Jesus broke that. And if we as the church can rise above and get a greater understanding of what happened, and that when it talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of heaven, it's not simply talking about a location far away, right? So if we can grasp that, it's not a location far away. So many Christians are trying to live life. They're living a defeated life. And they've substantiated why it's God's will for them to be defeated when it's not at all. If you're living a defeated life, then Christ died in vain for you to be defeated. But he didn't do that. The Bible tells us over and over, thanks be unto God who gives us the victory. Thanks be unto God who always, somebody say always, always Always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus, right? All those victories, the triumph are in Christ, engrafted into Christ. So many times we're still thinking about this day when we die, leave this body and go to heaven, but God's not thinking that way. There is a part of that, but he's thinking more about the relationship that he has not just to us, but in us, us in Christ, Christ in us. And so we're trying to unlock some of those uh, keys and and bring some revelation and understanding so that we really actually live understanding and that we live in a different form, a different realm of life. So Romans 14, 17 here, and I'll do my best. Um, if you came in and the parking lot was full, uh, I apologize for that. I looked up at the clock. I was very pleased with myself <laughs> because I had a story uh, before we prayed with everybody, and I had plenty of time because it was 10 to 12. And um, But it wasn't supposed to be 10 to 12. It was supposed to be 10 o'clock. And so I got mixed up on my services. I thought it was 10 till it was actually... 10 o'clock. And so that last story went a little bit longer than it should have. And so I'll try to not keep you that long and keep my eye on the clock. Have no idea what happened, but I was pretty happy. I'm like, I'm going to get out early and even get this story in there. And then everybody's like, my God, what are you doing? Um, so, <laughs> hallelujah. We trust it won't happen here. All right, Romans chapter 14, verse 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. I think the message Bible says it's not rules and regulations, but it is, somebody say it is. It is. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. In the Holy Ghost is an important phrase right there because we'll tend to just try to get Uh, Find these three things in and of ourselves. And and as we go through this, you'll find that it's impossible to find what God has for you in these areas uh, in and of yourself. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is empowering you uh, in these things, you begin to really live in a whole different domain, a whole different realm. And so a kingdom or the kingdom of God here, and we've gone through this, I won't take too much time, but is described here as not a location or a territory, but it's a place, the kingdom of God is where the rule uh, or the realm of God uh, is in existence. It's where Jesus is king. It's where his will is obeyed and his power is released to accomplish his will. Right, And so when Jesus came to the earth, when he was preparing to come, John the Baptist declared to the people who were coming down to the Jordan to be baptized, to hear what John the Baptist had to say. He said, the kingdom of God has come near you, or the realm of God, the domain of God has come near you, so repent and be baptized. Well, then Jesus came to the earth and he said, when he started his ministry, he said, the kingdom of God has come near you. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near you. So turn from your sin because the kingdom of God is near." But before he left the earth, he told his disciples, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. So he was letting us know that something would take place in a human, that the whole realm or the whole nature, the whole source from which he was living his life would be changed. And so we live not just in relation to this kingdom, but the kingdom is within us. And so if the kingdom is within us or the rule of God is within us, then we want to know really what that domain is, what the key factors of that are. So if these three things are key factors in the rule of God, in in the place where his power will be released to accomplish his will for our life, then we need to pay close attention to these, these three things that seem to be very important in this rule of God or this realm where he actually has Dominion where his will his power are significant and uh, uh, that we walk in those so even when we're talking about the kingdom of God what God has planned for us right uh, and, and grasping a hold of that man has been held by a sin consciousness and because of that sin consciousness that came through Adam's sin we're constantly dealing with a struggle in life and and we even look at we go out and we look at you know you walk out the front door and you look at the mountains you look at everything around you look at what's happening uh, you you go somewhere and there's all this mass of people you know you can go to a Stadium. You can go to a concert, and there's people just bumping in, and very easily you can start to think I am insignificant. And people struggle with that day in and day out: self-image, self-importance, uh, 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 self-esteem, because there's something on the inside of you that says, "Listen, look at all of this that was created. You're insignificant." But we can look at the Bible and realize God did not create you to be insignificant. He created you with great value, and he created you with great significance. When he created you, he said you should have dominion. All this around us shouldn't dominate us, shouldn't dictate to us we should have dominion. Not in and of ourselves, but according to, again, the realm or the rule of God. Right? So when sin came in, it began to break apart some things. And so Jesus, in speaking in Matthew, uh, uh, the 19th chapter, he's he's just talking here to the rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler said, "I'm, I'm ready to enter in the kingdom of God. What do I have to do? And Jesus lists out the 10 commandments, and he said, I've done that since I was a child. He said, well, good for you. There's still one thing you lack. You might have done all that, but there's one thing that has a hold of you that would keep you from the kingdom of God. Sell all that you have, give to the poor, right, and then you can come follow me. Well, he didn't think he could do that. Something had a hold of him. He couldn't do that, so he walked away sad. And so he told his disciples, he looked at them, he said, it'd be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And so certainly we look at it and go, wow. We're really talking about rough, but actually in the culture, the gates of the city actually had what they called the eye of the needle. It was an opening, a very small opening that man could get through, but horses and camels couldn't get through that protected the city. So, you know, it'd be like a walking gate when the gates were closed. So he's not talking about a sewing needle, which would be very difficult for a camel to get through. No doubt, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, that's very difficult for a camel to get through this entry gate for that protection. And so that their response to that was not like, cool, these rich people aren't getting in. They actually said, then who could get in to the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, with man, it would be impossible. But with God, all things. Everybody say, all things. With God all things are possible. All things are possible. So in this instance, he makes one thing, but he he included in the realm of God or in the rule of God all things. Are possible. Things that man in his domain and him being under the dominion of sin could never do, it would be impossible. Come over into the realm of God under his rule, his domain, and anything is possible. Amen. And so we're trying to get the impossible to be possible in our own strength and going, it doesn't work. But if we understood the kingdom of God, we'd start to see more things become possible that we thought were impossible. So I believe it's very important because there's a day that if it is what has been prophesied, we come into the last of the last days where t- troublesome times will come, as Paul told Timothy. Perilous times, times that are hard to bear because, and then he goes through a list of things that, that that will be there, Rick Renner taught on all that. But if we, the church, stay with the realm of God, we're not dictated to by the course of this world, but by the Spirit of God in the domain of God, according to the rule of God, obedient to Him, then there are some things that need to come into possibilities that we've not yet seen. And they need to take place. So it's very important for the church to take note and to understand this. So we want to break this open just a little bit and talk about these three things. And so we'll start with righteousness. And in this service last last week, we did define this, but righteousness is this. The state... Of him who is as he ought to be. So over time, we've thought righteousness is right standing with God. It's just simply right standing with God. So I got born again and I'm in right standing with God. Well, that's true, but limited to that, and we'll see, it's not simply I got born again, now I'm in right standing with God. Something bigger happened when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. God set things as they ought to be. And when he set things as they ought to be, it starts to open up a whole new realm of viewing things in a different way and then receiving what God has for us in such a dynamic, different way that miracle working power will create impossibilities that we thought and make them possibilities, right? And so the very first thing that he did is man as he ought to be. Man with sin dominating him is not as he ought to be so righteousness does away with sin which we'll get to that people's minds work i had somebody come out after first service and say man that was so good but still right there just kind of is tough to get a hold of which it is for everybody he was just being honest wrapping my mind around it because of teaching because of a sin consciousness but see Man with sin is not as he ought to be. A man and a woman having sexual intimacy outside of marriage is not as things ought to be. A husband and a wife in strife is not as it ought to be. Somebody carrying an offense against someone else is not things as it ought to be. You were not created to carry offense. It'll mess up your life. Being worried about everything that's happening in life is not as it ought to be. A man thinking he might be a woman is not things as it ought to be. A woman thinking she should be a man is not as it ought to be. So we see that we're living in a world where unrighteousness is at work. And we like to point fingers at certain ones, but I'm just trying to cover the gamut. Because we all, we all, somebody say we all. We all. That's not just Southern. That means we all. We all, the Bible says, this is ver- the very beginning of the understanding we want to bring. So there's breakthrough. There's breakthrough. And there's a release of miracle working power. Amen. Right? miracle working power the impossible made possible right a body racked with sickness and disease is not as it ought to be that's not man as he ought to be he was not designed to be racked with pain and sickness and disease so the revelation of righteousness will bring miracle working power to do what to set right that which is not right. Amen. So if we're like, well, I've just accepted this is the way that it is, then you've accepted something that's not right. But Christ came to set things as they ought to be. As they ought to be. And when there's a ought to be, you start to rule over everything that is not as it ought to be. Again, just a sidelight, that's why it's so important that we cast down every thought Every imagination that's contrary to the obedience of Christ so that we bring ourselves into obedience in our thinking, in our emotions, into that place of rightness. So we're ready to go outside of ourselves, ruling ourselves outside to what he says, punish all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. So even as we talk about this and we begin to launch into this, understand this, that the adverse of some scriptures that we read, that we, we cling to, that we look at are always true. That just as James said, faith without corresponding action is dead, right? So we look at that and we say, well, I believe, I believe. And people are saying, well, you may believe, but until you obey, till you believe to the point that you obey, you're not going to see the full result of what it was said for, so it needs a corresponding action. Likewise, doubt and sin, the temptation, needs a corresponding action. So once we realize that the enemy comes to pull through temptation, the enemy tr- tries to pull through thin co- sin consciousness, that doesn't mean you have to do it. It doesn't mean you have to obey it. In fact, if you don't, it falls dead. But he's convinced us that you have to because you're still just a sinner. Oh, you're saved by grace. But we've got to break that down according to the Bible because it sounds really good. Sounds really religious, sounds really humble. But it's a lie to keep you under the dominion of sin. Cuz if you are still a sinner, then you are under the dominion of sin. If you believe that you're still a sinner, sin will dominate you. It has that power. The Bible tells us, we went into this last week in Romans chapter 6. He said, now listen, if you lend yourself over, even if you know the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you, you prayed about that. You prayed to ask him to be Lord, but you don't know, and so you give yourself over to the action of sin, it will enslave you. But if you give yourself over in obedience to righteousness, Righteousness will enslave you. Amen. So that Greek word there, enslave, is doulos. And it is the same word if you read, if you begin to read the introduction to Romans or 1st or and 2nd uh, Peter, uh, uh, when they write, they say, uh, I'm writing to you, this is Peter, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That word doulos, it means that the will of one is given over to the will of another. That's what it means. So when he says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Peter said, I have given my will over to the will of Jesus Christ. I now serve him of my own free will, but he is my master. So what is he saying? What is Paul saying there? He's saying, well, if you don't understand what the blood of Jesus did for you, and because of that lack of understanding, that sin consciousness gets in and you give yourself over to sin, you did it. You said, I yield myself, my decision over to sin, and sin will then dominate or rule over your life. And he's telling them that because he just said the gospel explains how you've been set free and sin no longer has dominion over you because you're not under the law, you're under grace. And we looked at that, The grace is powerful. Grace is not an excuse. Grace is powerful. So, It's the state of one is who he ought to be. It includes righteousness. That's how it ought to be. It includes right living because that's how it ought to be. We ought to live right. It includes right character because that is how it ought to be. So why do we want to get this? Why do we want to understand righteousness? Well, we want to understand it because it's about uh, God's life with us, us with him. But it also affects the people around us who don't know. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, Paul says this he said, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Who you hang around with, what ideology you're listening to can corrupt really your knowledge of who you are in Christ right? And then you begin to follow a different line. You begin to follow the culture or what's going on there. So he said, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness. We need a great awakening in our nation. We need this great understanding, this great awakening to take place within our nation. He says, awaken unto righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak to your shame. So what's he saying? He says, come on, awaken to righteousness. You are the church. You've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. There's people out there who are looking for God. They're crying out to God every day because of sin consciousness within them and the condemnation that comes. They're wondering, where's my life gonna end up? There's insecurity, uh, bad self-image. They're wondering, what in the world am I here for? And they're looking around and when they see Christians sinning, there is no hope. But when they see righteousness revealed in the life of a believer, it brings hope to them that there is change, that God did something in Christ that actually transforms a life and brings hope. So we're not doing it to just struggle with, I got to do things right. In fact, we'll show you, you can't do that, but God has done it. And when we receive it and we yield to him, we begin to show forth what God has done in setting man as he ought to be. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. He says, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness. Literally says, chase after it. Righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. I'm telling you, we got stuff going on in our nation. I believe it's time that we understand right and wrong. We understand righteousness and how to live in it. I don't know about you. But in our culture today, in our leadership today, right? Uh, if you watch the news at all, somebody will do something. They'll say something. They'll act on something. And a, a, a person will say, do you think that's right? When was the last time you heard somebody say, no, that's wrong? If you did, just mark it down. They don't say, no, that's, I believe that's wrong. They say, well, somebody else did it. Well, somebody else did it. So you start to see how unrighteousness and this foolishness gives place to more ungodliness. Now, lest you think that it's just the politicians. I can't talk about you, but I'll talk about me. So there's been different times trying to, trying to make a change, but different times in our household when my wife has been a little bit upset at my action and points that out. And the response that comes out of me is, well, you do it. (laughs) Now, I know none of you ever do that or have done that, but you see that never has turned out into a very peaceful moment. (laughs) There's always a contradiction to that. But if I was to say, you're right, I'm sorry, please forgive me, that almost always turns into a peaceful moment where we can move forward. So we can't substantiate wrong because someone else did wrong. Because even the person that does wrong, if he only has a sin consciousness, he has nowhere else to go or anything else to do. But if we can correct that and know who we are and what Christ has done for us, we begin to gain authority over these areas of our life which that's what it takes. The natural reaction wants to say, wait a minute, I feel bad, so let me, let me push this off on somebody else. You do it as well and push it off so I feel better about myself because I'm not the only one that does it. But you can't get any traction that way. You have no authority. You've just abdicated. My statement now gives her authority to come back and point out even more wrong that I've done. <laughs> but the moment I repent and acknowledge that, I have the freedom to move on and control what could have been a mess, now I bring it into rightness. It has great power, the understanding of righteousness does. And so we want, the, the Lord wants us to reign in life through righteousness. He wants us to reign over situations of our life through righteousness. Things as they ought to be. The state of a person is as he ought to be. So 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 17, says this, that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new. And now everything is of God, who has reconciled us to himself. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Tells us what the ministry of reconciliation is, to tell people that God's not holding their sin against them, but he sent Jesus to die for them. So we are ambassadors. We are to represent Christ to people and urge them, plead with them. Be reconciled to Jesus. He's not wanting you to go to hell. He's not wanting you to die in sin. He wants to set things right for you. Why? How can I prove that? How do I know that? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become. Everybody say become. That we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Not our own righteousness. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So turn over to Romans, the third chapter. Romans, the third chapter. So I'm going to take a little bit of time. We're going to take a bite. I told the first service we're just going to take a bite of the elephant, another bite of the elephant, and um, we took a quarter. But let's see if we can just get a, a, bite, a bite here. All right. So we can come to this full understanding. So it begins, the whole process begins with sin, the sin of Adam. And the effects of it. And after sin came condemnation. So because with sin that brought condemnation, there was a need for justification. When we understand justification, then from justification comes righteousness. With the understanding of righteousness, then comes sanctification. And with sanctification, holiness. And when we are living in holiness, we have completed the course where we actually now exhibit the action of dominion over sin because we are living in the actual sanctification and holiness that he positioned us in, we're actually living it out day to day. And so you all responded about like the first service at holiness. It's really bad when the church, when you say holiness, there's something that falls over the church that goes, oh my God, not that. But holiness is beautiful. He said, we worship God in the beauty of holiness. Why is holiness so beautiful? Because there is no guilt. There's no regret. There's no shame. There's no dirty feeling in the midst of holiness. It's just pure. And it's beautiful. And God wants us to see the beauty of it. So we don't walk around feeling tainted. We don't walk around knowing I'm guilty of something. No, I've been set free. The penalty for my guilt has been paid. So here in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Again, last week we went 10 to 20. We're just trying to put this together and bring some understanding from the word of God. It says, "Now, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to on To all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness. Why does He want to demonstrate it? So we know what His righteousness is, because we become the righteousness of God. To demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to read to you what this, uh, it says, freely by his grace we've been justified, or justification freely by grace. So justification and grace work hand in hand. We looked at this justification is to be declared righteous. You can't be justified or declared righteous without you acknowledging guilt, All right? Last, last week, we shared a couple of stories where that was proven, that, that guilt or defeat admitted, then it allowed the justifier to pronounce you as righteous or restore you to where it's right. Even that uh, uh, king who had that battle, who defeated that nation that fought against him, and in the battle destroyed their cities and and, and people. When they came and admitted defeat, then he said, "Rebuild their cities. Set everything as it ought." to be and declare them as my people, my children. In other words, they couldn't do that. They had been defeated. They had fought against, but that king, after them acknowledging defeat, said, I am going to justify you. I'm going to put everything as it ought to be, but he couldn't do that until they knew he was king. They were defeated. So 1 John 1, 9 becomes very important to us to say, listen, not only from Adam's perspective, but when I have sinned after I've known him to come and say, I've sinned, I was wrong. It says, then he's faithful and just to cleanse us or justify us from all unrighteousness, which means in a moment time, even though I know that I'm righteous, I make a mistake. I don't have to walk in that anymore. I don't have to be enslaved by it. I can acknowledge, uh, I give place to that, My place. Now, God forgive me, and he'll cleanse you right there. He'll justify you of sin. So what is sin? We begin, he said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. What is sin? Very simple definition of sin should help us. Self-will over God's will. Self-will over God's will. How many times have you looked and said, I know what the word says, but I'm going to. You wouldn't say it this way, but I know what the word says, I don't feel like it, I don't want to do it that way, so I'm going to do what I, I'm going to sin. And normally we do that and say, well, that wasn't my fault, the circumstances, the people, everybody else was doing it, and when we do that, we make excuses, then he can't come in and cleanse us of unrighteousness. So what happens? That self-deciding begins to govern our life and take us into a place of destruction. But the moment we say, wait a minute, that's not who I am making my own decisions. He's Lord. God, forgive me. He cleanses you. We have to understand what's going on. So listen to this. the Justification, the act of God declaring men free from guilt and acceptable to him. So he goes goes on to say, the same authority explains unto acquittal, which brings with it the bestowment, the bestowment of life. Right? Where we were worthy of death, the wages of sin is death, he bestows life, not us. The words of life are genitive of description in the Greek text, describing the quality of the righteousness bestowed upon man. So the righteousness is a quality of life. It is a righteousness which is connected with the impartation of spiritual life, the impartation of spiritual life in, its, in itself. This righteous standing is a purely legal matter. So that's why I said, in, in just saying, well, I'm now in right standing with God, wait a minute, that's purely a legal matter and does not impart life nor change of character. So to just say, Jesus' blood put me in right standing with God, that's a legal term. Just saying you're in right standing does not impart life nor change character. But, when we acknowledge Jesus, our sin, and accept righteousness, it is accompanied by the life that God is. Not the life that God has, the life that God is. Imparted, the life that God is imparted to the believer in regeneration. So when we're born again... By his grace, we are receiving freely of that grace, which actually imparts the life that God is into us through regeneration. So if we are imparted with the life of God, he justifies us in that way. He justifies us in that way. Praise the Lord. Here, I need to get to this point. I read read from a different place. This This is the good part. This is the grace, right? So he justifies us. Says a grace is charis, which is signifies, in classical, uh, from the classical authors, a favor done of spontaneous generosity, without any expectation of return. Of course, this favor was always done to one's friend, never to an enemy. But when charis comes into the New Testament. It takes an infinite leap forward. For the favor of God at Calvary was for those who hated him. It was a favor done out of the spontaneous generosity of God's heart of love with no expectation of return. There are no strings attached to grace. It is given gratuitously. Of course, grace in the form of salvation is so adjusted that the one who receives it turns from sin to serve the living God and live a holy life. So he said, freely by grace, that's grace that comes to create a whole transformation, you're justified. It is given freely uh, to adjust those who receive it Turns from sin to serve the living God and live a holy life. For grace includes not only the bestowal of a righteousness, but the inward transformation consisting of the power of indwelling, the power of indwelling sin broken and the divine nature implanted. So he said, justified freely by his grace. In other words, pronounced or declared righteous by his grace, not just by his unmerited favor, generously bestowed, but this grace that is so powerful that when it came into your life, this grace, not what you earned, this grace came into your life, it broke, dispelled, washed away the power of sin. And not only did it break the power of sin, but it brought in the very divine nature And so Peter says it like this, that God, by his own glory and by his own virtue, made us to be partakers of the divine nature. Come on, we got to grab a hold of this, this nature, because sin consciousness has to do with the old man, his nature through Adam's disobedience. But now we've been born again. We've been justified and received a brand new nature implanted into our hearts. Now, listen, this isn't all. Oh. This divine nature implanted, which liberates the believer from the compelling power of sin and makes him hate sin, love holiness, and gives him the power to obey the word of God. Man. We thought grace was this covering so I could go ahead and sin and it would be all right. No, God never makes sin all right because it binds man. It dominates man. God said, I'm going to take it away. I'm going to break the power of it and I'm going to impart to you who I am. And now has been implanted in you a brand new nature. Wow. Come on, it changes everything. The revelation of that changes everything. The devil made me do it. No longer has any sting. I couldn't help myself. Come on now. Because it ain't yourself. (laughs) Right? As long as you keep uh, depending on yourself, you self can't do it. But when you made him Lord, you said, myself is getting out of the way. And it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Why? Because he loved me and he gave himself not only for me, but to me. All right. Praise the Lord. Romans 5. Romans chapter 5. This will blow your mind. Some of you will be laying in bed at midnight, and the Holy Spirit will open it up to you, and you'll just have to get out of bed and do a dance. <laughs> Some of you have been addicted. Some of you have been bound by worry. Some of you are racked with pain in your body when you all of a sudden realize, wow. That came from sin and that nature of Adam, and it's been broken, and I am here to partake of the divine nature of God with all of its power and with all of its life. Sickness can't abide in my body anymore because it's just not right. Amen. Man, it'll set you free. This idea, well, I guess I just deserve it. I guess this is just the way life is meant to be. No. It's what sin did. Jesus came to set it right. All right. Praise the Lord. Just excited I'm not angry. (laughs) It's a great day to be alive. Praise the name of Jesus. Romans chapter 5, verse 16. All right, we're going to be closing up here. And the gift, speaking of the gift of Jesus, the grace, is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Man, to understand what God did in Christ, what God did in Christ. Far exceeds, somebody say far exceeds, far exceeds exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. Adam's fall imposed judgment, condemnation to death. But what God did in Christ Jesus didn't come up and say, all right, now life is going to fight against death. He said, no, this is what Jesus did where death was reigning through the enemy, through sin. I'm going to bring righteousness and I'm going to take it above. And the righteous life of God is going to reign over death. That which used to reign in your life is now reigned over by justification and righteousness. You say, what? Well, so now we have to break that down. So there's sin, right? And then condemnation. So what is condemnation? Condemnation is judgment and sentence pronounced. So with sin, he said, came judgment, and with that judgment, a sentence was pronounced. Y'all know that sentence, right? The wages of sin is death. So death, the understanding I deserve death, I deserve separation and ultimate death with God, lingers in the inside, in the consciousness of everybody who's been born into the earth under Adam's sin. It lingers there. We don't know why. We feel inadequate. We feel insecure. We feel insufficient. So we're always trying to feed that to make ourselves feel better. But nothing satisfies because it already brought with itself a sentence of death which needs justification. And so when he said this justification, this grace, this new broken power of sin and the sentence of it, and now a righteousness arising, now that rules over where death used to reign. See, that fear of death, that understanding of sin is why we're going to live with all the gusto, why we're going to sleep with all the people that we can to try to satisfy something of love that we can't ever satisfy. When I'm under stress, I'm going to take drugs. I'm going to try to fix everything that I cannot fix. But even believers, simply because, and there's no condemnation in this. I'm just saying, because of the fact That we still have this lingering sin consciousness, which is why I'm bringing this, because if we can get revelation and realize that sin has been broken, and all of its results, and the sense of death and the separation from God has all been broken, and I've been brought and made right. Things have been set as they ought to be. I am a child of God, and I'm no longer bound by sin. I'm no longer answering to the sentence of sin. Now, the religious person will say, now, watch it. Now, now people are just going to, people are going to sit. When you tell them they're righteous, they're just going to go off and do whatever they want to. That just means they don't understand. That's why we brought justification into the equation. Because it's not something you could earn or not earn. The blood of Jesus provided it. And when you actually receive that, there is such a humility of what he's done for you. That as he said, the grace that comes and washes your inner man gives you a hatred of sin. Not an acceptance of it. As your lot in life, you're just a sinner. Live with it until you die and go to heaven. What a devaluing of the blood. What a declaration that the blood was powerless. The blood of Jesus released so much power, cleansed of all sin. Hebrews is all about that. Your works, the blood of bulls and goats, anything that you do that tries to cover sin to make it look like it's not there doesn't take it away. There's only one thing that takes it away and it's the blood of Jesus and it really takes it away. Amen. And the consciousness of that and it even has the power of the Bible says to cleanse your conscience of dead works. Well, I've been a Christian for a long time and I don't understand why I do what I do because you haven't embraced righteousness. haven't embraced righteousness. Because once we realize I am as I ought to be, the man that I ought to be doesn't do those things. And the expectation of me being as I ought to be won't do those things. But see, as long as I think I can't help it, I'm just trying to do my best. I'm just trying we'll cover that next week it's gonna be really good we're gonna crack open Romans chapter 7 what most of us said I love finding Romans chapter 7 because me and Paul are just the same Paul said what I want to do I'm not doing and what I don't want to do that I find myself doing you're like I identify with Paul but see if we break down and understand what Paul's saying is he's saying I first got a revelation of this I myself in this body still couldn't overcome it even though my mind wanted to I myself couldn't but once I understand that Christ has come in me in his grace it's not of myself it's of him Wow praise the Lord Man. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify you, God. For the blood of Jesus. Holy Spirit, minister to every heart and life. Help us today. At the very least, give us a measure to understand so that we don't make excuses for ourselves. That we're open and honest before you. We don't hide anything. We know that nothing is hidden from you. But give us the revelation. The blood of Jesus set us as we ought to be. Give each one of us the revelation that sin with its power with its judgment, and with its sentence, has been broken and washed away. Cleanse our consciousness of that. Let us know that we are made right. As we ought to be. That we would embrace the power of that grace, the goodness of that grace, the fullness of that grace. We'd embrace the divine nature and realize the source of our life, the very nature of our life, is different than it used to be. That the old nature that drove us, that influenced us, that influenced our thought life, our emotions, our action, has been cut off. And we receive and allow the grace of God and the new nature to influence our thought life, our emotion, and our action. Not to become self-righteous because we ourselves cannot achieve that. But by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we are able to fulfill that which you have restored us unto. Give us all wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Equip us, strengthen us, and launch us out that others might see your goodness in transforming our life. That those who feel helpless and hopeless and groping in darkness might see the power of your grace and the goodness that you bestow in breaking sin and restoring us to what we ought to be, what we were created to be. Minister to every heart and every life, Holy Spirit, as only you can do. For every person here that needs to humble themselves before you, God, we give space to that, whether it's a rededication Because understanding came today Of how they're free from sin They've made choices Knowing they've been saved From Adam's sin and disobedience But they themselves have continued to struggle In their own life Through this revelation We lay it before you We're guilty We made our own Decision apart from you Forgive us for each one that's laying that out in their heart, God, I thank you. The revelation of cleansing and restoration to righteousness would manifest and be revealed. For each one that doesn't know you, they struggle still, bound by sin. The course of this world, the ideologies that come that are not right, they know it's not right. There's a struggle on the inside of them that they would just say, here I am. Guilty as charged. Jesus, forgive me. I believe that you died for my sin, raised from the dead. Today, I call upon you to be the Lord of my life, to cleanse me from all sin and guilt and shame of it, bring me into righteousness. Thank you, Father, dealing with hearts and lives that we might shine. Thank you for the anointing of God, the healing, the deliverance, the freedom that righteousness brings. Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. You can stand up. If you need prayer for anything else, if something touched your heart, you need prayer for healing, there'll be altar workers up here to pray with you. <clears throat> if you prayed that prayer for the first time, just said, God, I'm guilty of my sin. I want you to come in and save my life. I believe that you died for me raised from the dead have a greater understanding today be the Lord of my life if you prayed that the altar workers have just a few little mini books that will help you in a greater understanding to move forward just come up tell them you prayed that prayer and uh, they'll give you that gift from us that will help you move forward uh, in uh, your new life that newness of life in Christ Jesus amen so as we go what God did in Christ Jesus, Jesus. far exceeds Any damage done to me by Adam's fall? You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. We'll see you at 6 o'clock tonight. Thank you, sir.